What's Justin Trudeau's latest gun grab going to do to the shooting sports here in Canada? Well, we asked the executive director of the Canadian Shooting Sports Association exactly that question. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. in Canada see firearms rights as exclusively a gun issue, but it's really not. Let me explain this to you in a different way. Imagine you wake up one day after minding your own business and obeying the speed limit to find out that your car has been outlawed because a car that was the same color of your car has killed somebody in Toronto. And that car that killed somebody in Toronto, it was stolen from its lawful owner or it was stolen in the United States and then brought across the border and then used to run over somebody in the commission of a crime in Toronto. But you out here in Alberta or wherever you might be, you have to be held accountable for it because your car and that car were both blue. That's what's happening to gun owners here in Canada. It's crazy. And then it gets even worse because as a taxpayer, you don't own a car. But you have to, as a taxpayer, foot the bill for the government to compensate me for the car that they just made illegal. Again, that's what's happening to Canadian gun owners. It doesn't make any sense um, when you explain it that way, but there is such stigma around guns, at least according to the government and the people on the left um, of the political spectrum, that they can get away with saying and doing these crazy things and scapegoating people um, for crimes they didn't commit. Which is why I think it's so important to have so many robust advocacy groups advocating for gun owners like me here in Canada. So today joining me is Tony Bernardo from the Canadian Shooting Sports Association in a long long, long overdue interview. Take a listen. So joining me now is Tony Bernardo, Executive Director of the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. And it's been a while since Tony was on the show. A couple of years. I'm embarrassed about that because there's so much to talk about um, in uh, gun grab news, I suppose, um, and in the gun rights space. Um, So, uh, Tony, I promise I'll have you back on again very soon. I won't wait years before I have you back on the show. And one of the things I want to do here is to bring on different people from the different um, gun rights advocacy groups, because uh, although the liberals say this about anything, I really think we're all in this together. And this is a a fight um, where, you know, I don't think it really matters what gun rights organization you're with. Um, The liberals are going to snatch your guns. (laughs) That's that's just what liberals do. So, uh, Tony, uh, tell us a little bit for those people who don't know, what is the Canadian Shooting Sports Association? Okay, we're an advocacy group for firearms owners, but we do a lot of other things like provide high-quality training, uh, shooting range, uh, protocols, and procedures. And we do this right across Canada. We have members in every every province and territory. We have gun clubs uh, right across the entire country. And uh, we're a nice, stable organization. We've been around for 62 years. 
We've got some conspicuous successes to uh, our, our work. Uh, one was the uh, cessation of the uh, long gun registry. And the other one was the elimination of ATTs. And the liberals have brought all that stuff back. But that doesn't mean we didn't get rid of it. It took years to do that. So, um, but, and, and there's more coming. I mean, we're still very active. But in the way we do things, we're conservative. We're behind the scenes. We're making the wheels turn. Because that's how real politics gets done. You know, that that's, uh, that's what I love about the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. So you do all... I don't want to say backrooms deals because that's not what you're doing. You're actually yeah. grinding away on the politics and policy matters to make real change. And as you say, you were instrumental in making sure the long gun registry was gone and removing the uh, ATT. So the requirement for gun owners who already can only use their gun at the range to call some bureaucrat in a cubicle somewhere and say, Hey, can I go to the range? <laughs> you sure. guys, and you there guys, was other, other accomplishments too, like the yeah, six please. month grace period. When, you're, when your firearms license expires, that six-month grace period was the result of work we did with Stephen Blaney. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of, of things. We, we believe that a small win is still a win. And, and if you can make the environment better for firearms owners across Canada, it's worth doing. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, a small win is still keeping one guy out of jail, <laughs> keeping right. one guy from becoming a paper criminal. And I think that's a huge win for that guy's family, or in my case, that woman's family. Um, tell us uh, some of the things that you're working on right now, because we know uh, Justin Trudeau's latest gun grab on hunting rifles. He's pushed pause on that. It hasn't gone away. He's just no. reworking it in a way that... I think the liberals think might be more palatable, but I, I think it's not going to change. Hunting rifles are going to be caught in this. So are you, what is the CCSA doing? Well, we're, 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 we're still doing the, the stuff in the back, making sure that, you know, policy documents are the way they should be, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as, as you well know, we don't talk real time about the things that we do politically mm -hmm. because that makes them not happen. Okay. Right. I mean, you know, like politics is a, a real thing and you have to do it right or it's not worth bothering with. So, you know, you don't, don't divulge your private discussions and things like that. But right now, I mean, you're absolutely right. The liberals are bringing this back. They, they removed the, the, uh, the, the amendments to C21. Make no mistake, they're coming back eventually. You know, they're, they're going to try to do is they're going to try to take the hunting guns out of it or something like that and then reintroduce them as if the sporting guns that we're in are, are somehow doing bad things. Right. You know, right, right. But of course, the, 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 you know, they, they did the, the 2020 ordering council and here it is 2023 and we all still have our sporting guns because the liberals can't figure out how to take them. You see the mass shootings happening? No. Well, Nothing's and, happening. We still have the guns. Well, yeah, well, there might be mass shootings happening, but I think they're sort of happening in uh, Canada's big cities uh, because of a gang violence problem that has nothing right. to do with lawful Canadian gun owners. I, I want to. Nothing to do with black rifles either. I mean, not, they're almost never used in, in right. gang crimes. That's they're almost a, always smuggles American handguns. Right. But that's a border issue that Justin Trudeau refuses to deal with. You're right. And, you know, 
when, when you look at the, the track record of the various uh, ministers, public safety ministers, every single year they pledge another 300 and something million dollars to increase border security to stop the gun smuggling. And every year, just like clockwork, they reduce the budget of the CBSA by $300 million. So they're, they're literally giving it one hand, taking it on the other hand, and then proclaiming that they've done something good. And in fact, CBSA is grossly up front. And there's lots of things that could be done. I, I don't know if you saw the committee testimony where CBSA testified that one billion of 1% of rail cargo is chattel. That's one shocking. of 1%. There's nowhere to check it. Apparently, there's only two depots in Canada where you can check rail cargo and the trains aren't there. That boggles my mind. And, you know, this is something that I think most Canadians don't know. We just assume, and generally it's true, that the Liberals are just making money rain from the sky on every government department and growing the size and scope of the bureaucracy. But the one thing that we really need, border control, to deal with people coming into the country, to deal with guns coming into the country, to deal with contraband coming into the country, to deal with opioids, poisons that are killing our young people coming into the country. And the liberals are cutting the budget there. That It baffles me. Cutting the budget, giving them free drugs. Yeah. They, they inked the deal on Roxham Road a year ago, but they don't implement that for a year. Yeah. So obviously you must get some indication of how val- much value they put in that deal on Robson Road. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, everything they say is a lie. It's just if their lips are moving, it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, again, I'm not making this up. You can, you can go back and you can look at the budgets. And they'll say, oh, $300 million. It's always $300 million. This has been going on since Ralph Goodale was this public safety minister. And we saw it the very first year, $300 million going out to help the CPSA interdict guns at the border. And the same year, they reduced their overall budget by $300 million. At the same time, however, they seem to be willing to blow, at least according to the parliamentary budget officer, $800 million in their gun buyback program, which is an incredible misnomer because you're not buying anything back. You didn't own these things in the first place. And I'm sure just like the gun registry, that number is going to balloon. I'll tell you, I asked the government for any of their financial analysis that they did on the gun buyback program. They couldn't provide it to me. They sent me seven pages of largely redacted internal government gibberish, just bureaucrats talking amongst themselves when I asked for financial analysis because I wanted to know where the government came to their $200 $200 million number. That was the number that they claimed the PBO said it was, you know, closer to $800 million. Nobody can tell me where they came to that $200 million number, which leads me to believe that this is going to be a $2 billion boondoggle if it ever gets off the ground, which I'm, I'm, I'm on team government ineptitude on this one. I, I hope that the government ineptitude sort of skewers their plan to snatch everybody's guns. Well, I, I think when they make the cost estimates, they must think that 
they're going to put out an announcement. Okay, gunnies, come and turn in your gun. <laughs> and we're just like, okay, let me get my hat. <laughs> they, they don't realize that they're going to have to do a lot of things to get the guns. The first thing they're going to have to do is pay for them. And if you noticed in our illustrious budget yesterday, not a penny earmarked for the gun confiscation. Now we're talking like many, many, many billions of dollars. This isn't going to be cheap. Right. Because while they, they might be you know, talking about putting it, say, you know, a billion dollars in compensation. That doesn't include depots, transport, the construction, the uh, promotion of the program. I mean, how do you how do you do this? Like, do you send everybody a FedEx box and say, put your gun in the FedEx box, and yeah. then the FedEx guy will come and pick up your prohibited <laughs> firearm, and he doesn't have a license for a prohibited firearm. But the feds will give him one. You know that. Yeah. And then this this poor fucker takes his life in his hands by driving his FedEx truck full of deadly evil black assault rifles through neighborhoods where people would quite happily kill him with his guns. Right. 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 Now, if you were the FedEx driver, what would you say? <laughs> I think I think the same thing a lot of RCMP members would say. If they were yeah. asked to kick in their neighbor's doors. Um, right. no, no chance, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. The, the, the whole system is fraught with stupid. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the only, the only thing ahead. they can really do is mandate Canada Post to it. Because that's the only thing they really have any, any control over. But that's a train wreck looking for a place to happen. Yeah. Because I know the first thing we'll do is we'll be putting their labels all over free takes financial on. And it will be for the box that you're shipping this thing in. It will have, like, be a warning, deadly evil assault weapon inside. <laughs> you know? And plaster them all over the box and turn them into Canada Post and walk over the Yeah. Right. This isn't going to happen either, Sheila. No. Well, and, and, and the just the sheer logistics of it all. So you have several provinces now led the way by Alberta, thankfully, uh, which remains one of the freer places in this country. That said, we're, we're, we're not ever going to mandate our police forces who are already struggling with rural crime and urban crime to take them off real crimes, to kick in the doors of their neighbors, to confiscate their legally acquired property. So we've got several provinces who say our police forces are not going to cooperate in this. And then and then just the logistics, as you say, of it all. They have moved guns from non-restricted all the way to prohibited. You don't know who has those. How, are right. you, how do they, I always go back to the SKS and the SKS, because it's cheap, it's plentiful. You can get it at a gun show. Yep. Um, how are you going to find all those? They think maybe there's 200,000 of those in the country. I bet it's closer to three times that you don't know who has them. You don't know where they are. How do you, yep. how do you get those? How do you go and get those? They, it's, right. I saw on Twitter once somebody said, it's like, somebody who's never even seen a car making the rules of the road. That's how it feels like as a gun owner. And it is so true where it's, you know, you're banning things that you don't even know what they are, where they are, who owns them, what classification they're in. So I don't know how they plan to execute any of this. Right. It's like hiring a brain surgeon to do your air traffic control. Right. Yeah. 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 It's exactly like that. I mean, they're completely out of their league, completely out of their element. They're simply 
I don't see any way for them to do the confiscation. But I'll tell you, if they do, no matter how they do it, you will not get a penny for your guns. Yeah. They're lying about this. And, you know, if, if they were serious, if they were really serious about this, there would have been a money appropriation in this budget. And there wasn't anything in this budget. So I guess they're not planning on doing it this year. Mm, what a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but they're, they're going to have to do this if they want to do it. They've got to appropriate that much money. It's not chump change. This is big dollars. Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that there was no money allocated for the gun grab in the budget. I think because it's a potential to be an election year, <laughs> quite frankly, um, if that coalition falls apart with the NDP, I'm not sure. It seems like the NDP will apologize for any amount of corruption. But if the precarious coalition falls apart with the NDP, they're going to an election. And what I do know about gun owners is that this for a lot of them, this is a one issue that mobilizes them to the election polls. Um, And, you know, it it really, it helped the conservatives in the Stephen Harper years, um, especially with the advocacy of the CSSA to um, uh, on the gun registry. I I mean, that really bolstered Stephen Harper's numbers at the polls. And I don't think the liberals want to tangle um, with gun owners on a major gun grab in an election year. No, I, I don't think that the Liberals have the capacity to do that right now. They're, they're already on, on the ropes, and I don't think they have the, um, the ability to alienate anybody to have a chance of winning. So and I'm happy about that. I think, yeah, me too. <laughs> I think Pierre Bowie will make a way better prime minister. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, my Labrador Retriever would make a way better prime minister. Oh, my gosh. You know, um, it's, but, I have a top five dumb liberals and I've had to ex- extend it to 10 or 12 lately because I, I can't get it. Like there's too many in the running right now. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Um, it, it, there, there, there isn't uh, the capacity no. to do this without some very, very smart planning and without the cooperation from police services. Mm. Now, I, I know that the, uh, well, first of all, I, I know for a fact that the, the feds have been going around to the provinces trying to get cooperation on this. And and yes, Alberta has, has stood the ground, and that's great. Remember, Saskatchewan did it first. That's right. Okay. And and so those two provinces are leading the way on this. And one, uh, one of the things they've done, and a, lot of, a lot of people have, have poo-pooed the uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan firearms act respectively, because they read them, they don't really understand the implications of what they're reading. But things in there like they're going to license anyone who is a confiscator. Okay, and then you read the qualifications that the confiscator's got to have. I mean, honestly, the the Lord's going to have to send a messenger down here to read (laughs) those qualifications. I mean, it's, it's simply not going to happen. Yeah, you've got to have your warehouse facility a kilometer away from the road. Good luck. Right, but you can bring in trucks full guns. Yeah, with no road. Yeah, yeah. So I, I really want to see how this this actually goes down. It, it, it's it's not going to. And and thank God we have Alberta and Saskatchewan doing this stuff, because without them and and the involvement of the municipalities. 
Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan, in Alberta. Without those people being involved in this, we might be up against the ball. Yeah, I think that's that's really a, a, a bit of a moral of the story here is, and we saw this in the United States. I, I don't want to, I mean, this isn't a covid show, but uh, you saw with Ron DeSantis, he stood up against, um, you know, some of the COVID restrictions. And then the other states said, you know what? Yeah, me too. (laughs) Like then Texas came along and South Dakota came along and, and all it takes is one or two to take the slings and arrows. And then the other me too provinces came along too. And the me too territories came along too. Um, So I, I think it's really important for, I mean, even if you're an Ontario gun owner, Start cheering for Alberta and Saskatchewan because maybe they will empower your government to do that thing to stand up for you, too. That's right. And we've been uh, releasing all the uh, press releases that they're sending out and keeping our our members informed of the changes in real time. Yeah. And and, uh, we we have not been downplaying the importance of this. Uh, You know, Canada is a country where our constitution says we have to have equal laws right across the entire country. Um, now what? Right. If nothing else, if nothing else, the feds would have to challenge it. And that's going to tie up in court for years. Yeah. Yeah. So those two provinces are offering up a defense for firearms owners. And and quite frankly, I, I can't express enough gratitude to them. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you about um, just some of the idiocy I've seen at committee. I think I think Pam Danoff, I think she might be number six on the dumb liberals this week um, but, um, where she is talking to uh, uh, an Olympic sports shooter, basically saying, well, this handgun ban, it's not really going to hurt your sport because we're going to give you um, an exemption. And that's great for existing uh, Olympic sports shooters or anybody coming up through the shooting sports, rifle, handgun, whatever. Um, but it doesn't allow for new people to enter the sport because you, you have to train with your, <laughs> with your tool before you make it to the Olympics. It was like these, she couldn't make it click in her head that, okay, but you might be giving an exemption to this generation of sports shooters, but it's done with them. Well, you know, with respect uh, to Ms. Danoff, um, there's a lot of things she can't get to click in her head. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that she said to me was, well, your, your handguns are all now worthless. And I said, well, I guess that depends on who you sell them to. Yeah. She didn't, she didn't understand that at all. Just, poof, right by her. Um, when, when I was testifying to the committee, I said, make this analogous to NHL players. They don't fall out of trees. They require years and years, maybe sometimes into the decades, to acquire those skills and hone them to a fine enough edge to be competitive. And it's the same thing. They're not just born. Target shooters are not just born. And I, I think that um, the liberals suffer from way, way too much Hollywood. Yeah. They, they seem to think that you, you can play with a, a handgun for you know, 15 minutes and then be able to shoot down a helicopter with 200 yards <laughs> with it. You know, they really believe that crap. Yeah. They yeah. really do. And, and, you know, they don't understand that to get the 
safer at 25 yards is an achievement. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it requires this. The other thing, though, that they've done is, is in the letter of the legislation, it says that any sport governing organization can issue the letter declaring this person to be in training for the Olympics. Any sport governing organization? Amateur Hockey League? They're a sport governing organization. You know, I mean, yeah. there, is, see, there isn't really a sport governing organization for right. the Olympics. The, the Shooting Federation of Canada takes this on because they're, they, they, they do this out of their own graces. And, it, and it's a tough thing to do because they're always fighting for money and stuff like that. They can't. They can't get money like we get money where we go to angry gun owners and say, right. help us, help us. Yeah. Um, they can't do that. They have to go to uh, the, the actual shooters themselves and say, you know, help us get money. And then they're lobbying the, the feds to get pittances of money. And it's very difficult. So, so hats off to them for staying in that fight. But it doesn't say anywhere that they're the sport governing body for the Olympic shooting. So it can be any sport governing body. So then what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Well, I'll, be, get, I'll be getting one from Rugby Canada. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the CSSA is a sport governing body. We, we, we govern uh, yep. probably a half a dozen different shooting sports across Canada. Yep. We are a, a shooting sports governing body. And Sheila, I'll tell you right now, if you if you asked me and told, told me that you wanted to be in the Olympics, I'd give you a letter. Perfect, I do. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would. Because I know how good you are. You know, <laughs> you know and it, on the other side of this, so when it comes to the grandfathering out of handguns, for me, this one is really atrocious because for many people, including my own, these are family heirlooms. Like oh. I, I am in possession of my grandfather's guns. They came to me. They will likely go to my daughter, who is the marksman in the family. But they will not go to my daughter now. I have to turn them over to the state to be destroyed. And it's very difficult to make people understand that these are not just guns. These are family heirlooms. This is like me showing up and saying, oh, your, your grandma died? That fam- That China? <laughs> that you would thought you were going to inherit that is a family heirloom. No, you have to turn it over to the government and the government's going to smash it into bits. And you're supposed to thank them for the pleasure of it all. They don't really seem to, they, they just see these as weapons of destruction, as opposed to um, a family, a family heirloom that's been enjoyed by generations of people. Or, or a historical artifact. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I, I, I collect some historical stuff and the thought of that stuff being put into the smelter just, just brings a tear to my eye. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I can't imagine why any government would want to destroy this stuff because this isn't stuff used in crimes. Yeah. If they really believe that they're trying to affect crime, which by the way, they don't. Right. Okay? Right. This is ideological. It has nothing to do with crime and it never, ever had any with crime right all the way back to c68 and the whole licensing system and all that stuff nothing to do with crime it all had to do with making so many hurdles 
to firearms ownership that people would give up or not even bother trying. That's what it's really about. And, yeah. and, and, and really, it's not about the handguns. It's not about the black rifles. It's about every single gun. Right. And never, ever kid yourself. You turn in your black rifles, you turn in your handguns, they'll be back for your scoped sniper, sniper rifles. Yep. You know, the ones you used to shoot deer and elk with, those ones? Right. They'll be back for them. They'll be back for the shotguns because they once saw a Hollywood movie where somebody saw it off the barrel of a shotgun and they were able to shoot a car and a car flipped right over. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you know. honestly, they're living in some kind of fantasy world. Yeah. But we aren't, okay? And, and gun owners have got to get this through their heads. Yeah. You cannot sacrifice another passenger out of the boat and expect the sharks to go away. It doesn't work that way. They will eventually try to get all of them. They're, they even say that. Yeah. We, we, we've got documents from the anti-gun group. So that the, the, the doctors, the doctors that hate gunnies, you know, that group. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the doctors that hate gunnies have said it's the guns. We want them all. The coalition for gun control has said two or three times that their goal is to remove all guns and all guns. Yeah. So if you're a skeet shooter or you're a hunter, don't be fooled by this. It's yeah. coming for yours too. It's just a matter of time. Well, I think a lot of people are waking up to that. You know, in the, the first uh, order in council that banned 1,500 popular models of shotguns and and rifles, including a 410 bird gun that they shoehorned into there. I mean, because it was black, looked cool. Um a lot of people said, well, it doesn't matter. I don't really have those ones. And then, then they came for handguns. And a lot of people said, I don't have an art pal, so I don't really care about that stuff um, until they came for your hunting rifles. So a lot of people, I think, in the gun community have been mugged by reality, realizing that they probably should have been fighting in that first ditch instead of the third ditch where we're at right now. Um, and I hope it balloons um, your membership. Um, because you've always been a strong advocate um, for legislative change and holding the government to account on behalf of the people um, and not just firearms owners, because it is non-gun owners who are going to have to pay for this debacle. Yeah, that's right. And the money that they spend on buying these inoffensive firearms off, uh, off of lawful law-abiding people is money that isn't going to be spent interdicting guns at the border and getting the drug, drug gangs taken apart. Yeah. yeah. Or on hospitals, you, or on hospitals, or employing yeah. doctors that hate gunnies. <laughs> like that, eh? Yeah, it's great, because that's really what they are. <laughs> that's exactly what they are. It's exactly what they are. Doctors that hate gunnies. Uh, now, Tony... Sorry, go ahead, please. No, no, it's okay. No, I was just going to, uh, because I, I promised you a 20-minute interview, and we're, I think we're at 33 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going to uh, ask you, where can people uh, stay in touch with the Canadian Shooting Sports Association? How do they become members? How do they get involved? Because, um, you know, you, as you say, you are... Um, you, you, you could help me get to the Olympics. You're a very important organization. <laughs> Well, and the easiest way, go on our website. You, you can sign up as a member there. You can make a donation to our work up there. You can also sign up for our free e-news. 
which uh, is absolutely great. Um, it's, it's read all over the world. We have huge circulation on it. And every week, we publish all the news that's fit the print on gun, gun ownership issues right across the world. Yeah, It's not just in Canada, because we think it's very important for firearms owners to have a perspective on what's going on in other countries, because there's many parallels. So we, we include that stuff in there, too. Anything of note, anything that's interesting, we put it in every week, and it's free. Yeah, I, I think your website is an incredible resource. I love how it's broken down so you can search events by your own province, your own locality. Uh, you've included all your legal research, um, things that you're doing, different uh, programs. Oh, the CSSA Marketplace. I'm going to be getting some new T-shirts. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm a big fan of your website. Um, it's really easy to navigate and um, uh, it's It'll help. It, it helps gun owners like me stay on top of all the comings and goings of um, not just the catastrophe of gun rights ownership in Canada, but around the world as well. Right. And, and you know, you can always just make a call for our 1-800 number and uh, our staff in the office will be happy to process your membership for you. Excellent. Tony, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I'll have you back on again very soon. Not years. I promise. I'm so embarrassed about that. Um, And thank you for taking the time today. Thank you, Sheila. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Well, friends, we've come to the portion of the show where we invite your viewer feedback. I say it every week, but it remains evergreen. I actually care about what you think about the work that we're doing here at Rebel News. It's why I give out my email address at the end of every show. It's Sheila at rebelnews.com. Put gun show letters in the subject line so that I know (laughs) why you're emailing me. But also don't hesitate to leave a question, comment, story idea on any of the platforms where you might find us on the censorship platform of YouTube or even over on Rumble because I do go checking for comments over there. Now, today's letter is not actually on last week's show, but it's on a response to a letter from last week's show. So I feel like I'm in um like a a long argument <laughs> where we're just emailing each other back and forth. But um anyways, I I like I said, I welcome the viewer feedback, so I'm going to take it. And today's letter comes to us from Walter Maitland. Who writes, good day, Sheila, on the closing topic letter response of the March 22 show, your remark and position about us not being like the U.S. Democrats or Justin Trudeau and arresting our political opponents. I I should stop and clarify the letter that I was responding to was somebody who said we should arrest. I think it was all the liberals in the NDP or we should outlaw their ideology. And I said, I I don't want to be like Justin Trudeau arresting political dissidents when he gets into power because it will why would we do that because why give the government that power they will use it against you as we just saw Justin Trudeau do it even when he didn't have the power he did it and the U.S. Democrats right now they're trying to fabricate some sort of trumped up um, campaign finance violation against Donald Trump because he will be the presumed Republican nominee so they're trying to nip that in the bud using the legal system to, you know, eliminate their political enemies. And I just, I don't want to do that. I believe in a system where we debate ideas and 
not arrest our political enemies. That's what they do in Cuba. I just, I don't want to be like that. Anyways, what exactly, exactly what downside has Justin or any leftist face for their blatantly political weaponization of the justice system? Nothing, zero, zip, bupkis. Like every other bully, the only language they will ever understand is if you hit me, I will hit you back. Please give some thoughts to this and give me and every other listener a serious answer to this question. What have we seen that will give Justin or the next liberal NDP head of our government the slightest pause before they declare martial law to clear up the next inconvenience? Walt. Well, Walt, I appreciate your letter. And I, I think there is a balance in this. Again, I reiterate, I do not change my mind. I don't think you arrest your political enemies. I don't think you outlaw political ideologies because they will do the same to you. Um, and you can't outlaw what's in somebody's heart and in their mind. I, I just completely disagree with that. I don't think you should outlaw political parties. Um, if they're fringe, let them be fringe. Debate them in the public square, which is why I firmly believe in free speech. But what have we seen um, that will give the liberals pause? Uh, actually, I should go back for a second. Uh, uh, as I said, there is a balance here. You don't outlaw the political ideology, but at the same time, don't tone police people. We see a lot of conservatives tone policing each other. And, um, you know, when the liberals and the NDP are out calling everybody with whom they disagree, Nazis, white supremacists, um, genocide heirs, um, and then when you stand up and say, no, shut up, you absolute idiot. You have another conservative over your shoulder tone policing you after somebody else has called you literally the worst thing on the face of the earth. That has to stop. That's ridiculous. Who do you think you're impressing? <laughs> Not other conservatives. When you tell your allies to shut up, you are um, only helping your enemies. So there is a balance to be struck there. But on the flip side, what have we seen that will give Justin Trudeau and the next liberal NDP head of government the slightest pause before they declare martial law? Well, I think the current revolt happening in CSIS with regard to Han Dong should scare the daylights out of the liberals because whatever the liberals are doing, it is so corrupt that a CSIS individual is willing to risk their entire career and even jail time to blow the whistle on the liberals. I think that's um, indicative of, I think, change. But... As I was talking with Tony, what I think is really going to give the liberals pause is that several provinces now are standing up to the government on a whole number of issues, but led the way by Alberta and Saskatchewan. So a, a whole bunch of provinces are now saying, we don't care what you're doing, Justin Trudeau. We are not snatching the guns of our people and we're not having our police forces do it. So take a hike. And... So that should really give the liberals pause because they're realizing now that there is provincial pushback, strong, freedom-minded premiers in place. That should really actually scare the liberals because um, they're not going to have free reign to roll over the provinces anymore. And in Alberta and Saskatchewan, we have our two respective versions of the Sovereignty Act where we are exerting our provincial authority and pushing back against the feds any time they put a toe into our jurisdiction. So I think um, as much as Justin Trudeau thinks he has infinite power here in Canada, the, prov the provinces have a lot more than he thinks. And uh, I think that is 
that's that should really give the liberals pause and you know, as much as everybody likes to talk about sanctuary states on the progressive side, I think Alberta and Saskatchewan and a few other provinces are going to quickly become sanctuary provinces from government tyranny. I hope that answers your question. Um, I still remain steadfast in my position that uh, you don't arrest your political enemies um, ever, ever. Um, if martial law is wrong when they do it, it's got to be wrong when you do it too. You just can't. I mean, the jails will be full of political distance. We're going to need extra jails. So I don't think that's the way to do it. I think um, if there is ever a change in government, uh, they need to quickly, quickly um, restrain the federal government from ever doing this again, change the law, make it more defined if we're talking about the Emergencies Act, and uh, maybe get yourself to a province that will stand up to the feds and defend you. I guess that's it. It's probably not a satisfactory answer if you are in Ontario, but if you're in Alberta, Saskatchewan, um, and a couple of other provinces, um, it's good. It's good to live here because um, we at least have leaders who will make sure that Justin Trudeau, if he's ever going to do those things that he's done, um, particularly in the Emergencies Act, he, uh, he won't be doing it here to us. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thanks to Tony Bernardo for joining me tonight. We'll see everybody back here in the same time in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.